Hey, thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. I appreciate it very much. Honestly, it's, it's, it, the honor is mine, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. David and I have been ministry partners and friends, as he said, for a long time. And as you're aware, uh, just know that we're joining in uh, with our Kalamazoo prayers, if you will, for uh, his dad and his family. So, And uh, he asked me if I would come speak, and I was like, bro, I will do anything uh, I can to help you. So, and, and to be a part of this body of believers and to look out and see all that God's done. Last time I was here last year, uh, we were, you were in the high school still, and, which was great. But now to be able to see, again, God opening doors and bringing increase into the kingdom of God. It's just a huge honor to partner with you all the way from Kalamazoo. And we're called Radiant Church too. So at the very least, I won't mess up the church name uh, and I'll get, I'll have that going for us. And uh, so yeah, I, I greet you from Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And um, I was yesterday kind of just went out to dinner and kind of just getting my bearings and literally everyone had Kansas City Chiefs stuff on, Super Bowl stuff on, red on, and I was like, oh, that's right, they have a winning football team here, and in Detroit, or Michigan, where I'm from, we are not uh, as blessed, so I'm just adopting the Kansas City Chiefs for the weekend, yep, so there you go, it feels amazing to be a winner up here, and to literally, we will give you the entire Detroit Lions football team and Barry Sanders for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so, okay, done. I'm done talking about that. I do want to um, also just say uh, the, the worship team was amazing. How about our, can we give it up for our production team in the back there too? I've gotten to work with them. I think sometimes they're the, the ones that kind of slip through the cracks and nobody really acknowledges them until they mess up. And then like a mic doesn't work and everybody does that like neck crane. Like which one of you doesn't love Jesus back there? But uh, they, they've done a fantastic job. And just, again, I want to say you have impacted my family as well. I think I said last time I was here, my oldest daughter, Ava, really encountered uh, the Lord through Bold Conference two years ago. And so I know many of you sacrifice your time, your treasure and talent to make that happen. I just want to stand up here and say from the depth of my heart as a father, um, it was beyond impactful for our family. So thank you so much for that. And I know we don't have children's ministry happening so last service too, there was a ton of uh, children in the room, and I'm just so blessed by that. I'm a, a youth pastor still at heart, so I don't want anyone to feel bad, like if your kid's crying or if they, you know, need a Snickers or something like that. Do whatever you need to do. Absolutely no shame. In fact, I would really love to just, I felt impressed to do this in the first service too, to just pray for the children in the room. And if you're watching online and you have your kids, maybe you want to just put your hands on your children. I just want to pray a generational blessing over the children uh, in this room today. So Father, I thank you that before you instituted anything else, before there was government, before there was even church, you instituted the family, God. And you said, I'm a generational God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And family and children are important to you, God. And I thank you 
for every single young person in particular in this room. I ask for a blessing, a generational blessing upon them. God, favor, wisdom, and, and, and the ability to uh, discern for their parents, God, in this room. And Lord, I thank you that even now you are beginning to map out the plans and purposes you have for their lives. So we speak, God, to the Daniels and Davids and Esthers and, and Ruths that are in this room that are going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you, Father, bless your children. They are a gift from you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're gonna look at two scriptures primarily today. Ephesians chapter four, and then in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, or uh, yeah, 2 Samuel chapter nine. So those are the two verses. You can do it on your phone. I think they're gonna come up behind us, but um, those are, are where we're gonna primarily be today. General Electric Power Company. Anybody use that to find Ephesians still? Raise your hand. No one. Not one single Bible camp Christian in the room except for Nate. Okay. Maybe you don't have General Electric here. That's how we remembered Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians when I was growing up. And so I thought I would share it and it means nothing. All right, let's, we'll pray real quick. Father, thank you for this opportunity. I do pray over the next few moments that you, God, would illuminate your word. You said that it would not return void that it would accomplish what you sent it out to do. And God, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, God. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. So I ask God, let your word bring what every, every, whatever every single person needs. God, encouragement, admonishment, God, the ability to hear your voice, Father, and that we would be inspired by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. It says this, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And he says, let all bitterness, anger, clamor, wrath, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32 says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. In your Bibles, I want you to underline or highlight that phrase, be kind to one another. This message is called Radical Kindness, and I was impressed upon this, I would say, a few months ago. Obviously, 2020 has been challenging in, in many ways. If you haven't heard, there's a virus going around um, called COVID, and that's been new to us and we're all sort of navigating that and then it was it's still a pretty I would say heated uh, electric you know election season there's still seeds of that that are going on and there's been an uptick in division and really strife whatever hatred whatever word you want to use we're in a situation in our country right now that is in the natural dire, it's, it's concerning. Like we see people lashing out at other people. We see this massive divide racially, economically, and politically, and, and there's all of this back and forth. And then all of it's really exasperated by social media and Twitter and Facebook and so many vehicles we have now to where we can express our opinion and then disagree with their opinion. And oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. They voted for them. They're, they support them. You know, whatever it is, there's this massive swirl. I really believe it's a spirit of division in our country. And, and unfortunately, Christians as well are falling into, I'll call it the trap that the enemy has laid where we 
don't see people the way God does. We don't see people the way we need to as Christians. We see people as often enemies. We see other people or groups as people that are, you know, contrary to what we're doing or they're not in the same camp. They're not in the same boat. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can move in the direction of those people are our enemy. Those people are bad. We're good. We're right. They're wrong. And we lose the biblical perspective that God wants us to have. Let me just remind us as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, your enemy is not people. Ephesians 6 says, we don't wrestle, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in the, in the heavenly. So yes, there are some things that are going on that are not godly, that are not good, that are not what we as Christians may, may gravitate towards, but the person, the people, they're not the enemy, they're the prize. They're not who we're fighting against, they're who we're fighting for. And we have to keep that perspective as Christians, or we can easily fall into a us and them mentality. And in the kingdom of God, there is no us against them. There is only us praying for them to encounter the same Jesus that saved and redeemed our lives. So it's important as Christians that we understand this. So I'm reading Ephesians 4.32, and that word kind, be kind to one another, I really felt the Holy Spirit highlight. And I preached on that several times through the forgiveness lens, you know, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you. But that word kind was really highlighted and I'd not given it a ton of attention before. And so I just began to pray about it, began to study a little bit. And the Lord really revealed to me two things for me personally. One, that I believe that God is going to use biblical kindness to be a powerful missional tool in these last days to show people the love of Jesus. That there is something on kindness. And again, I, I named the message radical kindness because radical's definition is literally this, markedly different from the usual or the ordinary. And so this radical kindness that I want to talk about today is not what we would normally associate the word kindness with because it's kind of a weak word or concept in many circles. Like we think of kindness and we, I don't know, we think of like Mr. Rogers or, you know, like putting on a sweater and being nice. And, and that's not what biblical kindness is. And so I began to study that. And I'm going to say this as well. God wants to use kindness as a missional tool. And also this, that it is going to take courage for followers of Jesus to walk in kindness towards other people. If you're going to be a person who shows empathy and compassion and kindness to other people, not other people who look just like you, act just like you, believe just like you, vote just like you, that's easy. But the, the people in the world that are different, the people in the world who we disagree with, the people in the world who maybe even have hurt you in some way, the Bible says kindness is the key to bringing them into the kingdom of God. Kindness is the key to changing perspectives and changing Lives. And so I want to talk about biblical kindness today, but I want to remind you that it's not the same as just being nice. That's what we've associated kindness with. Now, it's good to be nice. There's nothing wrong with being nice. You should be nice. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but have been in a situation where you see someone, you run into someone at the end, you're like, oh yeah, for sure, so nice to see you, when it wasn't nice to see them, right? You're like, actually, I kind of hate you, and I'm not glad I ran into you, and you're still a jerk. How do you know? That's not how we respond, right? We always say, oh, no, yeah, great. Great to see you. And, and, and we want to be nice. And I guess at the end of the day, it's not bad to be nice. It's probably better than being mean. But being nice is not the same as being kind. 
when it comes to scripture. And I want to make sure we realize that niceties are not a bad thing, but they're convenient. They're easy. They usually don't cost us much. They're usually trite. And as I said, sometimes they can even be fake. We don't even mean it. Sometimes I remember, you know, you let someone into traffic. You ever let someone into traffic and then they do a little wave at you and you feel good about yourself. Am I right? You're like, look what I just did. I was kind to that person. They could have been waiting for hours. I don't know, but I let them in. I let someone in a little while, a couple weeks ago, and they didn't even acknowledge anything about me letting them in. And I was shocked at how offended I was that they didn't even wave. Like, I don't need you to get out of the car and like do a pageant wave at me, but something, you know, just a little. And I, I was like, I can't believe that. Here I was kind to this person. So in my head, I rewound everything and I didn't let them in. And I felt better about myself. I was like, that's fine. In my mind, I'm not letting you in now. And I was like, and we can associate something like that with being kind. I'll, I'll say one more. I feel like Blockbuster, if you're under 30, you might not even know what Blockbuster is. But they may have ruined the definition of kindness forever. Because back in the day, what would they put on the VHS tapes? Be kind, rewind. As if rewinding the Lion King before you bring it back is now the apex of all kindness. You can say what you want about me. It might be a horrible person. I'm not a horror. I'm kind. I rewind my videos before I bring them back. And that's what we've done with kindness. We've made it like this weak, watered-down version that, that's sort of like, hey, I want to be nice. And biblical kindness, let me give you the definition, is the word hesed. C-H-E-S-D. That's the Hebrew word for kindness. So when you read, here's what it means. Loving kindness, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness. That's what kindness is in the Old Testament. And it, it shows up like a hundred and some times in the Psalms. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. You have shown me your covenant faithfulness, O Lord. That is the word hesed. And in scripture, it is an intentional, it is costly, it is something that you do on purpose when you show kindness to someone. When God shows steadfast love and faithfulness, it's not trite, it's not fake, and it's not convenient. It's not even necessarily nice. It is a hesed covenant kindness. And that's what God shows us, and that's what God asks us to reciprocate to the world around us. So when we hear kindness in scripture, I want you to think of it through that lens, okay? Loving kindness, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness. Now back up to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to read a story together that I hope to tie in that I think will help us with the concept. The story of King David. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the story of David and Goliath. Most of us. Nobody online. Okay, no Christians watching. No, I'm just kidding. They do too. Everybody knows that story, right? It's a, it's a felt board, Hall of Fame, kids, hero. Raise your hand if you had felt boards growing up when you went to Sunday school. Praise God. Look at how many Christians are in this room right now. It's amazing. I did too. And so we all know that story. This is a little more obscure. You may not have heard this story. David is uh, very well known for some of his high marks, but also some of his low times. And that's the beauty of David. He's very transparent and very vulnerable in scripture. But this particular story we're going to read and we're going to highlight about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. So I'm going to read it and hopefully I can see it. I forgot last service. It was my eyes aren't as good as they used to be, or this print got smaller or something like that. Okay. Uh, you can follow along. It says, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, hesed, for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and they called him to David and the king said, are you Ziba? 
And he said, I am, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I've given to your master's grandson and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Let me just give you quick context for this story. Saul, who's mentioned in verse 1, is the original king of Israel. Israel wanted a king like the other nations had. God wanted to be their king, but they said, no, we want a real king. And so they gave him Saul. And Saul started out as an okay king, but as, he, as time went on, he began to be very insecure, began to make decisions based out of fear of the people, fear of opinion. He, he sought mediums and psychics uh, in order to know what he was supposed to do. And God said, it grieves me that I've made Saul king. In fact, I'm going to take the kingdom from Saul and I'm going to give it to David. This boy, this, this Goliath killer, this, this shepherd who's a man after my own heart, the Bible says. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. So if anyone should have been upset about this new revelation that David's going to be king, it should have been Jonathan because he's next in line. He would be the heir to the throne and he's getting bypassed so that David can be king. But the ironic part is that Jonathan and David actually forge an incredible covenant friendship together. That's one of the most beautiful in the Bible. And so David and Jonathan are friends, but Saul, the king, is upset and doesn't want this to happen. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that Saul spends the better part of many years trying to kill David, throws a spear at him, chases him down to Ziklag and, and, and pursues him trying to kill David. And so when you read in the Psalms, David's saying, why are my enemies rising up against me? Why have you allowed me to, like, that's him crying to God, like, why have you let Saul be this whack to me? I've done nothing. All I've done is played my harp for that guy. Anyway, um, that's, that's what you see in there. And so this is about 20 years into King David's reign. But here's what happened. Saul and Jonathan are fighting the Philistines. Saul is the king and they die. Saul and his son die at the hands of the Philistines. And Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. And he's about four years old at the time. And he's back at the castle in Jerusalem doing what four-year-olds do, playing with Lincoln Logs and learning his little Hebrew jots and tittle alphabet. And, and being four years old, he has no idea that in a land a little bit away, his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan have just died in battle. So let me just tell you what's going to happen now. 
If you're David, you might be thinking, hey, this is good. This, he's been trying to kill me, and now he's dead, and I'm going to be king. Awesome. But if you're Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, this is not a good day. Obviously, you've lost your father and your grandfather. So little four-year-old Mephibosheth is back at the castle, and he's going to grow up without his father, and that's sad. But he's also lost his inheritance in one instant. This all happened to Mephibosheth. He loses his father. He loses his inheritance. The Philistines are going to take all that was Saul's territory. That's what conquering kings and kingdoms did. They came in, they killed their enemies, and then they took over the land. So all of the security that would have been Mephibosheth's, all of the land that he would have inherited, all of his you know, future plans are now decimated. In one moment, he has nothing. He also has a death wish on his life now. He's the number one enemy of the Philistines. Because what a conquering kingdom would do is come in, they destroyed Saul, they destroyed Jonathan, and the first thing they do is look for any surviving family members, and they wipe them out immediately. Because they don't want down the road 20 years later somebody rising up who might actually have a right to the throne and, and, and gathering an army and trying to have an insurrection. So immediately, they want to kill all the family members of Saul and Jonathan. So Mephibosheth loses his dad, loses his inheritance, has a death wish on his life. He's only four years old. And it gets worse. In the haste, once the castle hears that the Philistines are coming to pursue them and that Saul and Jonathan are dead and the Philistines are coming to take over, the nanny or maid or servant who's taking care of Mephibosheth gathers him up, grabs him, is trying to run to safety, and she drops him. And he breaks his legs, breaks his ankles. He's crippled. They didn't have doctors. You didn't set injuries. You didn't get crutches. If you were crippled, you had no ability to take care of yourself. This was an agricultural time. You didn't get a job as a telemarketer. You weren't sending emails. You were incapable of taking care of yourself. So he loses his dad. He loses his inheritance. The Philistines are trying to kill him. He has a death wish, and he's crippled. And for the next 20 years, little Mephibosheth spends his life in a place called Lodabar. Lo means no, and Dabar means pasture. No pasture, no life, no sustainability. In that time, if you were crippled, you were a beggar. And you eked out an existence trying to scrape by with what other people would give you. And for 20 years, that's how Mephibosheth has maintained his existence. In hiding, crippled and in fear that someone might find him. And now we're 20 years later. Mephibosheth is 24 years old. David in 2 Samuel 9 has this idea. idea. Hey, who is there in, in, in Jonathan's house, the household of Saul, that I can show kindness to? Hesed kindness. And Ziba says, well, there is, there is still one son. He's crippled in his feet. Well, where is he? He's in Lodabar. Well, bring him. I want him to hear. And so they go out and they search for Mephibosheth. Now, let me tell you, Mephibosheth is not wanting to be found. <laughs> he has, find my iPhone off. He's not using Wi-Fi. He is hunkering down because he, he knows David is a mighty warrior. David is a conquering king. And my grandfather, Saul, has been trying to kill him for years. So he knows if I stand before David... I'm going to be killed. Like, my days are numbered. I, he, he's hearing rumors. The king's looking for you. No, no, no. And he's hiding out in Lodabar. And finally, they find him, and they say, King David wants to see you. And let me just tell you, that's not good news for Mephibosheth. 
kings in that day destroyed their enemies. And that's exactly what Mephibosheth knew would happen to him. Even if the servant said, no, 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 it's fine. David is going to be nice to you. He would never believe that. You remember King Herod? Remember the wise men came to him and said, there's a new king in Bethlehem. And Herod said, oh, really? Oh, well, when you find that new little king, make sure you tell me too so I can worship him. That's not how kings operated. Herod's intent was to kill Jesus at the first chance that he could. And I tell you, Mephibosheth is in fear to see David, but they bring him. So here's this 24-year-old man who's eked out an existence in Lodabar, standing before the king. And he's scared and he's shaking and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And listen to the very first words out of David's mouth. He says, Mephibosheth. And he says, I'm your servant. Do not fear. The very first words that the king speaks to Mephibosheth is don't fear. You don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to cut your head off. In fact, I'm going to show you kindness, hesed kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I'm telling you, Mephibosheth would have been like, like what? What'd you say? Huh? Like everything that he was thinking, he's quivering. He's, and in a moment, he's like, what? Don't fear. What? You're going to show me Hes What? And then David goes on and says, and all that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, I'm going to give back to you. All of the land that would have been your inheritance, I'm going to make sure belongs to you. This isn't David saying, look, dude, here's the thing. I got a trailer in the back. There's no electricity or plumbing and it sucks, but you can have it for 300 bucks a month. No, it was literally, I want you to think of something the size of Texas. That's the amount of land that he is giving to this crippled 24-year-old boy. He's like, no, you can have this. Everything that would have been yours. Historians, theologians believe that it actually may have jeopardized Dave, David's kingdom at one point. That's how much territory he's just giving away. And so Mephibosheth is told, don't fear. He's wondering what's happening. Then he hears him say, hey, I'm going to give you your land. I'm going to give you what was Saul's. And he's trying to process all this. And then David says, Ziba, his other servant, come here. Ziba, you're now his servant and your whole family work for Mephibosheth. And so I want you to till the land. I want you to bring in the produce. I want you to take care of everything so that his family always has food. So now Mephibosheth has like a staff of 30 people that he oversees that are in charge of tilling the land that's just been given to him so that his family's taken care of. And then David drops the bomb and he says, but you Mephibosheth, you'll eat at my table with me, the king as if you were one of my sons. And in one moment, Mephibosheth loses his dad, loses his inheritance, has a death wish, and is crippled. And then 20 years later, in the same amount of time, he's told, don't fear. It's going to be okay. I'm going to show you kindness. His inheritance is restored. He's given the land that was Saul's. His death wish is removed. And not only that, he's adopted into a family. And David says, you're going to eat with me. You're going to dine with me. I know you've been struggling in Lodabar. I know your life has been marked by lack, marked by fear, marked by your own inability to support yourself. But those days are over. Now you're going to eat at the king's table. Now you're going to have your inheritance. Now your life is going to be restored completely. I want you to picture dinner at David's house. 
Dinner bell goes off. David's getting ready to have dinner with his family. In walks, you know, Joab, his oldest son. He's the commander of the armies. He's good-looking, proud, powerful soldier. He sits down at the table. Then Amnon, the nextborn, walks in. He's kind of the witty, clever one. You know, he finds his seat at the table. And Absalom comes in. He's like the hardcore GQ model, great-looking, ter- completely long hair. He finds his seat at the table. Tamar, his daughter, comes in. She's beautiful. She's elegant. She sits down at the table. Solomon's probably the last one running from the study. Hey, sorry I'm late, guys. Just banging out a few more Proverbs, you know. He sits down at the table. All of this royal family, all of these beautiful participants sitting around the king's table, and then you hear the awkward clunk, clunk shuffling of Mephibosheth coming down the hall on that first night, trying to process and comprehend what's just happened to him, pulling out a chair, looking around at all of these beautiful people who have a right to be there, and then finding his own spot to sit down and eat with the king. And the reason I tell this story and the reason I think it's so powerful is because at the end of the day, it's not just so that we can go, oh, David, he was so nice. Oh, David, look at what he did. At the end of the day, it is a reminder that every single one of us is Mephibosheth. If you're a Christian in this place, if you've experienced the love and grace of God, you at one time were a Mephibosheth. You at one time lost relationship with your father because of the garden and the choices Adam and Eve made. You lost your inheritance because they chose to disobey. They chose to want to make their own choices. And we all suffered the effects of that. We had death enter in the garden for the very first time, something God never planned for. Death entered, and the Bible says the wages of sin are death. And so a death wish came upon each and every one of us, and we were crippled by our sin, crippled by shame, crippled by our own inability to save ourselves. And in one moment, Jesus, the king, says, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to hold you responsible for what you've done. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to restore your inheritance. I'm going to bless you and your family, and you are going to sit down and eat with the king every single meal. You may be in here, and you may think, you know, that wasn't me. I've always been a pretty good person. God actually got kind of a good deal when I came into the kingdom. You know, I don't want to brag, but that's not true. You were Mephibosheth. I was Mephibosheth. All of us were eking out an existence in Lodabar, crippled by fear and sin and our own inability to connect with the Father. And just as Mephibosheth looks at David and says, why? What is happening? Why would you do this for a dead dog like me? And David communicates this honestly, not even because of you. It's for the sake of another your father, Jonathan, and it's the same way God looks at you and says, it's not because you've done enough. It's not because you're good enough. It's not because you can earn it. It's for the sake of another. My son, Jesus, decided to come, and he decided to lay down his life, and he willingly gave up himself so that you could have relationship with me and dine at my table and have access to the king of kings for the rest of your life. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that when it came to my salvation and the price paid for my sin, God didn't just decide to be nice. He didn't just decide to do what was convenient. He showed hesed 
kindness and he bankrupted heaven so that we could have a relationship with him. And it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. It's a gift from God and no one can boast about having a relationship with Jesus. That's the beauty of the story of Mephibosheth. And I tell it for this reason, to remind us who we are, to remind us what God has done for us and in us through Jesus Christ, but then ultimately to bring it back to Ephesians 4.32. And now I want you to hear that verse through the lens of 2 Samuel 9, kindness, where he says, let all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away with, from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you. That is the charge for us as followers of Jesus, is not to be one who receives the hesed kindness of God, not one who enjoys the benefits of the Father and sitting at his table and then says, wow, this is great. Wow, amazing. Wow, thank you so much. No, it's to reciprocate back to a broken and a hurting world, the same hesed kindness and love that God showed you. And that is the call for every single Christian, not to fall into the trap of us against them. You're bad. We're good. We're right. You're wrong. But to say, I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to be kind to you. And it may cost me and it may be difficult and it might not be convenient, but I believe with all my heart church that that is what will change the world that we live in. In a world that is filled with all of Ephesians 4.31, hate, darkness, and division, it will be a people who say, I will forgive, I will show kindness, and I will love even when it's hard that will ultimately bring the change that we want to see. Government isn't going to mandate this. This isn't going to be something we legislate as a people. This has to be a move of God and the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us first to say, God, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to identify people in their sins. I want to see like you see. I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. And God, make me an ambassador for you so that people see the love of Jesus in my life. That's what's going to change people and their heart. Listen to me. I'm not up here saying that we have to agree with everyone, that we have to accept everybody's position. We've made the mistake in this country of thinking that loving someone means we have to affirm everything that they do. That's not love. Jesus said, You'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, by the way you love people. God and the Holy Spirit are in charge of changing people's lives. We are responsible for loving them in the process. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We don't do the changing. We do the loving. And then the Holy Spirit draws them to himself. Romans 2, 4 says, it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, that leads people to a place where they acknowledge their need for Jesus. It's not, no one's been argued into the kingdom. No one gets bashed into the kingdom. No one gets debated into the kingdom. They get loved into the kingdom of God. And I believe that God's asking us to be the first fruits of Hesed kindness in a world that's dark and a world that's divided in a world that's so easy to get caught up in the us against them. Can we be people who love and show kindness, not just to people who are like us, not just to people who are nice to us, 
Not just the people who forgive us or come to us saying, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? That's great when that happens, but that's not the call. Look at Ephesians 4.32 says, forgiving others even as God in Christ has forgiven you. The Bible says that when God forgave us, we had nothing to offer him. We were separated from him by our sins and by our own uh, uh, actions. We were creatures. We were uh, objects of wrath against God's holiness, but... He showed us mercy. He showed us kindness. He gave us access to his presence through Jesus. And now God is saying, are you willing to take that same responsibility, that same love and reciprocate it back even to people that don't deserve it? You never look more like Jesus than when you're forgiving someone, especially someone who doesn't deserve it. And it's hard. I'm not up here saying I do it perfectly. I'm not up here saying it's easy. People say, oh, Christianity is a crutch for weak people. It's not. It's hard. It's much easier to do what the rest of the world does and lash out and continue the cycle of vengeance and point the finger and say, you're the problem. You're the issue. That's a lot easier than what Jesus says in Luke 6, where he says, no, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to bless those who persecute you. I want you to show kindness, even to those who haven't shown it to you. He goes on and says, look, if you love people who love you, what good is that? Sinners do that. If you lend to people knowing you're going to get something in return, what good is that? The kingdom of God has to look different. We're never going to get God's results doing it the world's way. And if our first response is to be angry, lash out on social media, we better hit our knees before we hit the keyboard or we will never see God move in our generation. We're not going to solve this through any other way than saying, God, how can I be light? How can I be salt? How can I shine in the darkness? I don't want to run away from the darkness. I also don't want to point my finger and yell at the darkness. I want to shine into the darkness. And Matthew 5 says, they'll see your good works. And they'll give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's what God is asking us to do today. And I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just close your eyes. Not that closing your eyes is super spiritual or holy, but it does just create space. And I just want to pray with you. And I want to ask you, first, maybe you need the king to stand in front of you and say, don't fear. I'm not judging you. I'm not mad at you. It's not been too long. You haven't gone too far. I want to show you kindness. I want to show you love, undeserved favor. That's what the king offers. You may think it's been too long. I'm, I'm, I've lost too much. I'm too crippled. And God says, no, I want you to sit with me at my table, but you have to make that decision. You may think I, I, I am a Christian or I used to be, or I prayed a prayer a long time ago. All I want to say is maybe in this moment, you know, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I've been going through the motions. Maybe I've been saying the right things, but I need a fresh touch from my heavenly father. And I need to know that Jesus has washed away my sins. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if that's you, I just want to pray with you and invite you into the kingdom of God. And so I want you to just pray this as I pray. And Father, I ask you to come into my heart, to forgive me, to cleanse me, 
and to allow me to know freedom in Jesus Christ. I give my life to you. I turn my back on my past and I give you full control of my heart and I live my life for you. The second thing I want to ask in this challenge, who is the Lord revealing to you right now that you need to show Hesed kindness to? Who is it that maybe in, in your mind already, when you hear their name, you cringe. When you hear their name, you're angry. When you see them at work or, or, or there's this thing that wells up in you that the Lord just wants to release you from. The enemy will tell you, don't let that go. Don't forgive. It's all you have. You need. And God says, no, there is freedom. If you will release that, give that to me. I promise you where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And you may think it's too hard. I can't listen to me. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. Feelings will follow. Maybe you need to make a decision to forgive someone, someone who hurt you, someone who wronged you. Maybe there's a political party when you hear, you cringe and you, and you have this negative connotation with, maybe the Lord wants you to show kindness to them. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker. I want to just encourage you. Ask God, who is it? And then follow his leading obey. You'll be so surprised how God uses you, how it, it provides an opportunity for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's countercultural, and it's hard and it's not always convenient and it's not always easy, but Hesed kindness is not meant to just be nice. It's meant to change. So Father, I pray for this church. I pray for every single believer in this room, God, that you would allow us to have eyes like you have, when we see the hurting, when we see the loss, when we see the broken, God, we're, we're, we're moved with compassion, that God, our heart breaks for those that are lost. We, we sang the song, there's eight billion people in this world, and God, you don't want one to perish without knowing you, God. You're not okay with one person not coming into relationship with you. So we ask you, God, give us eyes to see, a heart to believe, God, faith and courage and spiritual fortitude to be bold in our faith, to pray for coworkers, to forgive our family, and to show hesed kindness to a dark and dying world, God. And you said, many will see and be amazed and put their trust in the Lord. And we ask you for that today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.